Uh, we are still in Luke uh, this week and next week. If you will turn to the Gospel of Luke, the 21st chapter. And we begin reading at the fifth verse. The first five verses there are the story of Jesus seeing the widow thrown in her her last coins. And then this. Luke 21, beginning at verse 5, listen then for the voice of God. Some of his disciples were remarking about how the temple was adorned with beautiful stones and with gifts dedicated to God. But Jesus said, as for what you see here, the time will come when not one stone will be left on another. Every one of them will be thrown down. Teacher, they ask, when will these things happen and what will be the sign that they are about to take place? He replied, watch out that you're not deceived, for many will come in my name claiming I am he and the time is near. Do not follow them. When you hear of wars and uprisings, other translations have that as insurrections. When you hear of wars and uprisings, do not be frightened. These things must happen first, but the end will not come right away. Then he said to them, nation will rise up against nation and kingdom against kingdom. There will be great earthquakes, famines, and pestilence in various places, and fearful events and great signs from heaven. But before all this, they will lay hands on you and persecute you. They will deliver you to synagogues and prisons, and you will be brought before kings and governors, and all on account of my name. And so you will bear testimony to me. But make up your mind not to worry beforehand how you will defend yourselves, for I will give you words and wisdom that none of your adversaries will be able to resist or contradict. You will be betrayed even by parents, brothers, sisters, relatives, and friends, and they will put some of you to death. Everyone will hate you because of me, but not a hair of your head will perish. Stand firm, and you will win life. The word of the Lord. Yeah, I don't know what to make of what I wrote this week. Um, same process as every week. Um, I Just less certain here. On a bright winter's day, I went to ground zero. It was the first January after that September, and we lived a few hours up the Hudson River, so from the train station, we walked across the city, every block, every block, a multicultural collage of class and commerce and faith. There were bars and bodegas, synagogues and cathedrals, exotic smells and racing taxis. It was busy and noisy and alive and, 
And as we got closer to the World Trade Center site, the sidewalks were emptier, the space was stiller, and my chest was tighter. Maybe it was just entering a financial district. (laughs) Or maybe it was entering something holy. Skyscrapers cast long overlapping shadows as we came on what looked like a construction or a demolition site. Everything was fenced. Trucks rumbled by. Debris flew and blew about. The neighborhood fire station that lost fathers, brothers, sons seemed both inauspicious and heartbreaking. Tourists were silently looking through openings in the fencing. Memorials, flowers, flyers for missing people were plastered to everywhere. Street lights, walls, benches, nobody dared take them down. And then there was a giant hole in the sky. Nothing but sun, no shadow. The Hudson and the harbor were closer than I had imagined. You could smell the water. It was bright and cold and harsh and holy and empty. Everything falls down. Eventually, everything falls down. Paul Duke puts it this way. Every story has an ending, a final page, a last word trailing off in silence. Scripture stubbornly insists that the story of creation itself will arrive at an ending. The whole great dance of things will come to a stop. Sounds and stirrings in space will cease. Histories will terminate. The lights will go out. The whole show will close down. The door will slam shut. God may open another door after that closing, a door to another room for another dance, but the only dance we know is headed for an end. In the meantime, that end is prefigured and rehearsed in countless other endings. Before the apocalypse comes apocalypse now, again and again, the end of the world revisits us over and over. Every crisis trembles with the final crises. Every ending rehearses the ending. That's a grim word. That's a grim word. And surely you didn't gather on this bright winter's day to be reminded that everything falls down. Surely there's a better word than that. And yet, as Jesus walked with his disciples across Jerusalem, They traversed the intersections of faith and commerce and culture. Roman centurions were posted on the corners. 
The bars and bodegas of the Gentiles called out for customers and Jewish pilgrims were marching toward the temple. And in the middle of this big city bustle, Jesus sees a stooped widow slip in among the young urban professionals as they proudly brought their expensive gifts to the temple. And Jesus noted that she gave out of her poverty and not out of her wealth. And as he turned to see if his disciples had noted the same thing, they're gawking at the temple. And who can blame them? The temple was the center of their religious cultural life. The first temple was built by Solomon as God's figurative footstool on earth, where his glory resided. But that temple was destroyed by Babylonian terrorists. This second temple was built over a span of 500 years. It was completed by Herod, Roman emperor an act of appeasement between balancing oppression and governance. But there it was. In the heart of the empire, there stood a Hebrew temple. It was a symbol of God's blessing and their belonging. Who can blame them? So maybe Jesus paused lost in thought for a moment, and then with their full attention, spoke gently and deliberately. As for what you see here, the time will come when not one stone will be left on another and every one of them will be thrown down. And with that, Jesus launched into a discourse about the destruction of the temple and a coming tumult. The language is dark and overwrought. Some hear prophecy that the temple will be nothing but rubble in less than 40 years, which happens. It's leveled by the Romans. And some hear in the words of Jesus something more dramatic and final the end of the dance, the slam of the door, the great apocalypse. Eventually, everything falls down. So what can we hear in this warning of Jesus? What can we hear in this warning of Jesus? Try this. Soon after September 11, Nancy Gibbs wrote in Time Magazine, if you want to humble an empire, it makes sense to maim its cathedrals. They are symbols of its faith, and when they crumple and burn, it tells us we are not so powerful and we can't be safe. After our cathedrals fell on that September morning, 
People flocked to church. In Schenectady, New York, we opened the doors every day at noon for the reading of scripture, music, and prayer. And we left the sanctuary open for those who just wanted to sit in the silence. And on the Sundays that followed, our worship services were full. The old wooden pews were packed. Even the balcony was crowded. People I only knew as names in the directory came to worship. People who had barely darkened the door before fidgeted and fumbled and found their place among the habitual. Galvanized by grief, fear, and the longing for something that wouldn't fall down, people gathered together. They clung to the hope that there was something more, some love, some mercy, some God. Shook to the core, they longed for evidence that there was something unshakable. Dear friends, what's remarkable about this text is that Jesus doesn't promise his disciples comfort, protection, or success. Rather, he promises just the opposite. He promises us trouble, turmoil, and terror. He doesn't say that things won't shake. He doesn't say that life will be abundant with blessing. He doesn't say that they should prepare defenses, hoard resources, hunker down and wait for heaven. He says it'll all fall down. So I've wondered if it's significant that Jesus says the temple will fall. It's not courthouses, capitals, and castles that he points to. He doesn't say that financial centers or political systems will fall. He says the temple will come a-tumbling down. Maybe there is here the reminder that even, our, even in our constructions of faith, that even those constructions of faith, they are flawed, fallible, and bound to fall. Maybe there's a reminder that when it all comes down, religion comes down to. Listen again to Paul Duke. Okay, this is kind of long. I hope you're still with me. But listen again to Paul Duke. Every temple is a doomed house. Every structure and every system for housing the holy will wear out its use, will disappoint and die. Name any temple you like, any ground that is sacred to us because at one time or another God met us there. A church, a denomination, 
a neighborhood, family, friendship, vocation, memory, or dream. They all have a lifespan, and they all come to an end. They may die of natural causes, ceasing to exist as, as we who inhabit them die or move on, or they may die by the violent assault of forces that are hateful to what we experience, to what we experience as holy. But most often, our temples fall because we neglect them until they rot or because we weigh them down with impossible, idolatrous additions. In the beginning, the temple is a tent, simple and supple with room for the spirit to billow through. But sooner or later, we try to manage the mystery the thing calcifies, thickens, encrusts, fills up with bad furniture. <laughs> the thing calcifies, thickens, encrusts, fills up with bad furniture, builds itself to an unwarranted weight until it has to fall. Yikes. Again, what a grim word. Where's the hope? Where's the gospel? Look, there's clearly a darkness in this warning of Jesus. And Luke probably wrote this gospel in 80 AD, after the destruction of the temple and in the middle of persecution. So this text is descriptive of what the early church was experiencing and it was intended to encourage them to remain faithful. And therefore, I think the flip side of this warning is not what falls, but what stands. When all hell breaks loose, kingdoms against kingdoms, and when there are droughts and pandemics and insurrections and floods and persecution, when everything falls down, what remains? When everything falls down, what remains? I don't know if I've told you this. It may have surfaced in a previous sermon. I have no recollection, but I don't mean to be maudlin or melodramatic about getting hit by a car last year. Many of you face and have faced struggles that are more difficult. Many of you know darkness that can overwhelm light. But a couple weeks into my hospital stay, I had a moment of peace about dying. I thought my life was a gift with more goodness than I'd ever imagined. And that it was okay to die. It could all fall down and I wasn't afraid. God would still have hold of me. Now mind you, I, I wanted to live for my family and for what I can still do in this world. 
but I was at peace with dying. And while it wasn't a particularly spiritual moment, that peace was not in what I'd done, what I'd believed, or what I'd built. That peace, that comfort, was in belonging, body and soul, in life and in death, to my faithful Savior, Jesus Christ, who has fully paid for all my sins with his precious blood and set me free from the tyranny of the devil. He also watches over me in such a way that not a hair can fall from my head. Dear friends, denominations will break apart. No matter how exceptional, empires will fall. And persecution will come. It comes to Christians all over the world today. And even our religious practices may fail. But you belong. You belong to God in Christ. And that's unshakable. That's eternal. We will weather grim days and the ending will come. But God holds you and has the last word. And after the dark, there is the dawning of the day of the Lord. So may that gospel seep into our bones, encourage our spirits, and enable us to stand no matter what falls down around us. Amen.